One of the things that has changed recently, and I don't think it's well known out there, is if that data harvesting or data scraping software has been used to create the list, you cannot now use that under the spam laws to direct market to people. I know a lot of people do use that scraping software or they do buy lists, especially to send out EDMs. You can't do that anymore. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate Podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, Editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest on today's show is an absolute fountain of knowledge when it comes to the legal aspects of real estate. She's a regular contributor to Elite Agent and founding director of Ono Legal. So welcome to the show, Kristen Porter. Thanks for having me, Sam. Excited to be here. And happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, trying to let that one go under the radar. <laughs> yeah, well, what a great way to spend your birthday in the studio with us. So um, I, hope, I hope you're doing something very, very fun later on today. Sure am. <laughs> Many of our listeners will know you for your legal expertise, but I was reading somewhere that you had pretty deep ties to the real estate industry. So what is the family connection between you and real estate? Yes, I mean, I've always been drawn to real estate, but um, I'm third generation. Um, I grew up in my family's agency um, in Armidale, New South Wales. Um, My first job was doing uh, letterbox drops as a kid. Um, I got paid in McDonald's stick shakes until I worked out there was a thing called money. Um, But then I graduated to, you know, reception, um, doing PM inspection reports and even open homes and, you know, went went to every, every single auction. Yeah, actually, you and I had that in common. I used to do letterbox drops for no money too for my uncle. <laughs> so, um, but so you didn't go into real estate, you went into law. So what made you make that choice? So I really wanted to go into marketing. That's why I was going to uni. Um, my mum suggested law. Uh, she kept hounding me. Love you, mum, if you're listening. Um, so to shut my mother up, um, I enrolled in the double degree Um And I was going to drop law uh, after I showed mum that I was trying it, you know, didn't like it. But mum was right. Um, Mum's heard this before. (laughs) And so I I got my marketing degree as well, which I love. And I love applying that in my business now. Um, But that's how um, I started on the law path. It was uh, my mother's push, my mother's gentle push in that direction. It's great that um, you mentioned marketing is a passion of yours. And I'm hoping that we can make... um you being on the podcast, a bit of a regular event because a lot of the articles that you've written lately for Elite Agent have been of great interest to everyone. And I guess um, some of the things that you're talking about are things that, you know, we all want to know about, but we're almost too scared to ask. <laughs> so so, um, so we're going to talk a bit about digital marketing and real estate because um, there's been a few instances in the past 12 months of, um, you know, things going awry. What do you think are the key things that agents need to be aware of legally from a digital perspective? At a high level, and we can you know dive a bit deeper into this as we as we continue our chat. But 
say social media, one of the big things that I think we forget about a lot of the time is that we don't own our own social accounts and our pages. Um, and we can talk about the implications of that in a minute. Um, with EDMs, I think it's really important to remember how much the privacy and spam laws apply in that space. And the spam laws have changed recently, um, mainly in relation to uh, consent and unsubscribes. And on the digital marketing side of things um, and creating funnels and lead magnets, I think you know, the market's becoming quite saturated with some of this stuff. And so we all need to find a way of differentiating ourselves. And you know, when we do something that's pioneering and that's different to everyone else, often the law can be unclear um, about the rules around those sorts of things, especially if it's something that um, someone has never done before. Yeah, so tell us a bit more about this the Spam Act because it's really interesting that you hear stories about people growing their databases by buying databases and things like that. So, um, and and I know I end up on a lot of email lists and for the life of me, I don't know how. Um, but tell us a bit more about what's happening there. Yeah, so with, with the Spam Act and um, recently I think I've had quite a few providers say to me, oh, I can sell you agent databases, I can sell you this, I can sell you that. And one of the things that has changed recently, and I don't think it's well known out there, is if that data harvesting or data scraping software has been used to create the list, you cannot now use that under the spam laws to direct market to people. I know a lot of people do use that scraping software or they do buy lists, especially to send out EDMs. You can't do that anymore. And the fines are quite severe for it, aren't they? Very big, yes. Um, not as big as yeah. some of the other things we're probably talking about today, but yes, big. Well, especially social media because people have lost their jobs over things like comments that they've made on social media and, you know, you would hardly think that those two things would be connected because social media is social media, but I guess work is social media for a lot of agents. Um, what are some of the big things that you think agents need to be aware of with regard to using social media? So many things. I mean, there are so many laws that apply in relation to social media. Um, I actually put a bit of a list together, but I won't bore you with it, but the list was about um, kind of 12 pieces of legislation. Um, and, you know, we do have to remember that each platform has different rules. I think we do forget that, that these platforms comes with, come with their own rules. Um, and, you know, like I, like I mentioned before, the one thing I do like to talk about is, and I think I've even heard you talk about this too, Sam, that, you know, we don't own our accounts. We don't own our social media platforms. And that's why I'm a really big believer, um, and I know others are, um, is, yes, you have a big following, but let's get, let's get our followers and our audience off socials into other channels that we can control, like um, text and email, because we have so much less risk of, you know, losing our database and losing um, our reach. And also there are less rules to follow. Obviously, we're talking about Spam Act and things like that that we need to um, take into account. But um, I think if you are kind of off some of those platforms a little bit more, you don't have as many things uh, to worry about, as many hoops to jump through. What sort of legal mistakes have you seen people making over the last couple of years that, you know, particularly with Ono Legal and stuff like that? Like what sort of problems are people coming to you with? Yeah, so at the moment, um, a lot in the fake review space um, or on incentivizing for reviews. Um, something that I looked at last week for a client was actually looking at um, a marketing campaign of theirs 
um, really having a look at what the offer was and whether the fine print and the offer actually matched up or not. Um, and so we need to be really clear when we are putting offers out um, and in our marketing that our headlines um, match uh, what our fine print actually says. Um, there's been a lot of uh, movement in that space uh, in the courts in the last uh, year or so on those sorts of things. Yeah, so interesting. So you just said people are incentivizing people for reviews. Um, that that sounds a little bit scary to me. <laughs> um, how does how does how does that work, and how could you get into trouble? What we're seeing, and this is, I think, just our um, natural tendency as human beings, is we want to incentivize people that we think will leave good reviews, um, favorable reviews. But um, what the consumer law says is. Um, you need to incentivize everyone equally. So you have to, if you're going to offer incentives for reviews, it has to be across the board because if um, you're only incentivizing people to leave good ones because you know you've done a good service, then that's technically in that misleading and deceptive conduct land because you're not painting an accurate picture. So what I talk to our clients about with incentivizing for reviews is making sure that it's in your workflow and it's in your procedures that it's for either every um, transaction or it's for every property um, or a certain percentage um, and to show that so if uh, the ACCC did come knocking because you had a complaint, you can show that we're not just favouring people that we think will give us a good review. Yeah, wow. It's a sign of the times, isn't it? It's not something that we would have been thinking about five years ago at all, hey? No, not at all, exactly. (laughs) So something else we weren't thinking about five years ago is who owns your social media. So we did a story a couple of years ago, which I think you were involved in, where, um, you know, agent works for um, Banana Real Estate and then leaves and goes to Orange Real Estate. Um, I'm into the fruit. And (laughs) Banana Real Estate then says, this whole social media following that you've built while you were working for us is now not yours and starts legal proceedings. So how, how can we prevent that from happening? Really good question. I have this conversation quite often and it's usually at the other end. So when a staff member is leaving, what, what can I do about this? And because a lot of um, employment contracts do have restraints now around social media accounts, um, what, what I like to see um, is if, if you do have a junior staff member and you are putting a lot of time and effort into that person that you should actually create the account yourself, um, the agency should own that account and that should be communicated to that staff member. So all that time and effort that you're putting into them, when they leave, they can't take that account with them. Now, that's a bit harder when we've got senior people that come over to us, especially if they've got really large audiences So usually they would own that account and they would take it with them when they go. So it's kind of, you know, looking at the senior versus the junior um, because if a senior person comes, you probably don't want to create a brand new account from scratch. Uh, But I think if you're putting a lot of time and resources training someone up, that you should open that account and it should be yours um, so they can't take it with them at the end. Yeah, interesting. On social media, like, again, the idea is to be social and build relationships and things like that. Um, But we've seen you know, we've seen the negative consequences for that in some cases in the last 12 months. Is there a general rule of thumb that comes legally as to what you should post and what you shouldn't post on social media? And is it a good idea to put some sort of a policy in place about that? 
Yeah. So legally speaking, um, what you should and shouldn't post, um, because as long as we're not you know, breaching defamation and other things like that, I mean, there's not a huge amount I could probably say on that from the, from the legal point of view. Um, however, one thing that we I do like to talk about in this space, especially so you don't get in trouble, is something that's coming up more and more is if you're using outsourced content creators, who owns the content um, that's being created? Like, for example, I outsource uh, a bit of my social media and my outsource manager creates the content. And so copyright laws say that, you know, the person that creates it um, is the person that owns it. And so you need to make sure that you do have a contract with them or something that says, yeah, even though they created it, it will be assigned uh, to you. There's actually a really uh, interesting case, and it wasn't social media, but it was in relation to listing, plat uh, listing portals, but I think it's very relevant here, is in relation to, again, creative. Um, so it's a photographer who took photos and did up floor plans like most of our photographers do, gave it to agent, agent uh, put it onto listing portal, listing portal then gave it to someone else um, to do some things with it. Now, there's nothing against the listing portals. This is what happens um, every day and it's very plain. It's in terms and conditions and agents know how this works, but it's often not communicated to say the photographer that when you give it to a listing portal or you give it to say um, Facebook or other platforms like that, you're often saying to the platform, oh, here's everything we've given you. We're now actually approving you to go and do whatever you want with it, including giving it to other people to use. So I think it's really, really important that all our subcontractors, our um, photographers, our social media managers, um, course, uh, our content creators know that when you give it to us and we have to put it on these platforms, the listing portals or socials, um, that you know, Mr. Photographer or creative person, you don't own the copyright in that anymore. And so we need to have that conversation and it really needs to be in any contract we've got with that person. So even though we've employed them to create the stuff for us, like, for example, you know, we've got a couple of people that manage our social, or we all take turns at managing our social media, actually. Um, so if it's not me, it could, could literally be owned by any of the other people that create it, unless there's a contract between me and them that says we own our social media. Correct. And it could be as simple as a one line um, saying that, the words you would use would be something along the lines of, um, you know, anything that's um, any content that's created under this agreement is assigned to the agency um, or signed to a lead agent or say, oh, no, legal, whoever's, you know, contracting the person. Yeah, it's as simple as saying that once it's created, it's assigned um, to the person that is paying for the service. So that's an actual post, but what about comments? Like, you know, because we've seen comments land people into hot water as well. Um how are businesses responsible for comments um, posted on their social media channels? Yeah, I think we had a chat about this not, not that long ago um, because it was all over the papers uh, that defamation is a real problem um, in this space um, and the court held that people's um, profiles and your pages, you are technically a publisher under law and publishers are required to moderate um, the content that is on their page, including comments. Um, and so if someone, Sam, just say, um, you know, I, I was being a, really, a real troublemaker and I went onto the Elite Agent um, Facebook page and I left a very defamatory comment about 
uh, a particular person, um, technically you can be on the hook for that um, because you're the publisher, which is really scary. And so we, what we need to do is make sure we've got the resources to properly moderate those comments because if we don't remove them, um, we can be liable for defamation. Um, some of the really big companies um, either have huge teams that just moderate the content or they're turning the comments off um, because the, um, the damages, like the money, the compensation that might have to be paid out under defamation can be very large. Yeah, because it's it's a matter of public record, is like you know, and everyone can see it and stuff like that. I mean that that that's a really interesting one. So if if you're putting together some sort of a, you know, an, a marketing plan for this year which involves social media, then you should absolutely have someone moderating your pages and making sure. I mean, you know, luckily, you know, with us, people just point out our typos all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of the worst it gets, you, you know, which makes us feel bad. But, um, you know, like I think it's really good advice to, um, you know, get people thinking about not just what they're posting but what people are commenting as well. So let's go back to this idea of testimonials and reviews and let's go a little bit deeper on that because agents um, are told these days that they've got to actively seek out um, testimonials and reviews, particularly on Google and Facebook. So what are some of the legal obligations when it comes to obtaining and posting reviews? Yeah, one of the um, biggest things um, I see happening, and uh, again, it, it's human nature to make sure we've got as many reviews as possible, but making sure they're not fake reviews. Um, again, if you've got friends um, going on and leaving Google reviews, even if you haven't asked them to do it, even if they've just done it because, you know, I'm really good friends with Sam, so I want to jump on and, you know, give Elite Agent an amazing rating, which I would anyway because because um, <laughs> we, we've we got a good relationship. But if it's yeah, a friend, yeah, jumping on, say, one of my friends jumping on to Oh No Legal's Google and leaving an amazing review, you know, Kristen's a great lawyer and um, all of that. If she hasn't actually used my service, that's a fake review and I, I have to get it taken down, no matter um, what the intent might have been behind it. And so we, we do need to be careful of fake reviews. We, we can't have um, our friends jumping on just, you know, to boost, boost our, um, our Google reviews, uh, for example. We spoke earlier about uh, incentivizing, um, that that needs to be done kind of equally across the board. Another thing I come across, a uh, question I get asked a lot is, can I, can I delete these negative reviews? Um, I want to delete these negative reviews. It's not good for business. And so, again, if they're genuine negative reviews um, and you remove them, you're in misleading and deceptive conduct land again because you're not creating, um, you're not painting that accurate picture of the service you're providing. Um, and so if, if it's a fake review because it's a competitor or something leaving a nasty negative review, then that, that's different. But if it's a genuine customer that genuinely you know, felt that the service wasn't great and so they might have given you one or two stars, you can't remove it. But... What I've been seeing best practices in the negative review space is obviously commenting and being really genuine when you do and having a proper interaction to either show that you're taking those comments on board um, and, you know, it's all about client experience. So you're trying to make the client experience better for the next person. Um, but also, you know, showing you're being genuine, genuine about it by not just getting on and kind of being ratty about the comment and not taking it seriously because, I know when I go um, and look on someone's Google reviews, for example, I don't want to just look at the good ones. I do want to look at the bad ones. 
And if there have been comments to show that, oh, we're really sorry that that happened and you know, we'll do better next time or actually clarifying, yes, that happened, but we offered you this and then you told us to, you know, go jump, you can at least paint a picture that you tried to overcome that issue, whatever it was. I think that's that's the key too. And if you get a negative review, like, I mean, often I talk to people and they go, oh, I got this negative review. And it's it's like, it's a learning experience, actually. You should embrace it maybe as an opportunity to improve your service or, or something like that. Um, but interestingly, like, you know, and I don't know how rife this is. It was rife a couple of years ago, but um, there would be a few sort of agents maybe posting negative reviews or anonymous reviews on their competition's Google page. Um, and it would be really hard for the agent in question to get it proved as a fake review and taken down. Is it still that difficult? Like, I mean, I every now and then Facebook sends me these crazy messages and I can't contact anyone at Facebook or Google. Like for the life of me, how do you, how do you get, um, how do you fix those issues if they really are fake? Yeah, look, I honestly think it is just as hard as it used to be. And I think if I had the answer to that, um, I'd probably be able to retire by now. Um, because I think it's it's a, it's a problem all businesses have all the time. And, you know, I've even got businesses that say they've had genuine good reviews up and they saw them and then somehow Google's taken them down for God knows whatever reason and they can't get them back up. So it's, it's also happening in reverse, which is really strange. But um, I don't have a silver bullet answer to that question. I'm sorry because, yeah, I think we all just um, have to, deal with you know google and facebook and all those big machines um knowing they're big machines and you know we kind of cross our fingers and hope hope we get an answer from them yeah yeah absolutely and i mean look it's it's sort of going back to that um thing that we were talking about a bit earlier which is that um you know we don't own them we don't control them and you know they just well we Facebook banned us all last year. It's still fresh in my mind. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think I think the moral to the story there might be something like don't have all of your eggs in one basket, like make sure that they're, they're spread across, whether it's traffic sources or reviews or whatever. You recently wrote us a fabulous article on competitions and because, again, competitions and social media are one of those things like, you know, guess how many jelly beans in the jar or... Um, you know, guess where we are, or guess how much the um, guess how much this property is going to sell for. Um, they're a great marketing strategy, but what should agencies be aware of when you're marketing competitions? Yeah, and with that article, that you know, the main thing we wanted to highlight, and we'll highlight it here, uh, is that there are rules you need to follow um, when we run comps, especially for lead generation. Um, and most agents and other businesses, it's not just specific to real estate, often run these competitions with no rules, um, no terms published, uh, which can get you into a bit of hot water in that um, if you do have a disgruntled um, participant, what rules can you point to to say, oh, well, you didn't win because of this reason or whatever. But like you said, the, the legal terminology, there's games of chance, um, which is more like a lottery and a game of skill, which might be under a colouring competition, for example, that gets judged. Now, with the game of chance, what many people may not know is if the prize pool in some states is over a certain value, you actually need a lottery's licence um, from that state to run that particular competition. Um, New South Wales, it's $10,000 prize pool. ACT is only $3,000. 
uh, Northern Territory's 5,000. Um, I think most of the other states, there isn't that threshold. So there's actually a reg regulatory issue um, if it's a game of chance um, that, you know, you do actually need a licence to run this competition. Uh, something else other people, um, a lot of people don't think about is the platforms, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, they've all got their own rules as well in relation to running some of these competitions. And some of them actually, um, and this is a thing I see used a lot in the competition space is um, like our profile, share this, tag a friend, and then um, you're going to draw to win whatever. Um, that is sometimes actually not allowed on those platforms. So we've got to look at the rules on the platform that we're trying to you know, promote whatever it is we're promoting. Um, and then also make sure, you know, do we need a lottery's license? Usually no, but sometimes yes. Um, and we need some terms and conditions. So if we do get pulled up by someone, we can actually point to the terms and say, oh, well, your entry was late and, you know, you signed up to these terms or this is how it was judged. Um, just, you know, so there's no issues at the other end. Yeah, because you don't want someone post someone disgruntled posting on social media that they thought they should have won the holiday to New Zealand and didn't <laughs> because yeah, they exactly. judged them. <laughs> you know, we've all had one of those. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, there's a few agents out there whose um, content is like sponsored or paid for. So what legal obligations do they have if they're receiving a financial benefit? And I'm talking about the influencers now, like the, the agents that have big followings. Um, and we, you know, whether it's you've been on a TV show or, you know, whatever it is, but um, what obligations do they have if they're receiving some sort of a financial benefit for endorsing something? Yeah, so we've got two legal elements here. So the first, we've got the sponsored content, which is the influencers, which we'll talk about, and then I'll talk about um, referrals and inducements, which is more licensing legislation in each state. So with the sponsored con content, when you, you, you know, you're more in the influencer space, um, you do absolutely have to clearly display um, that it's sponsored content. Um, influencers in particular are being targeted at the moment, um, the ACCC is actually going after quite a few of them um, if it's not clear that a particular post is sponsored. Um, and the fines, and I'm not, I'm not fear-mongering here, but the fines in misleading and deceptive conduct land, which we're talking about here, um, are the maximums, we're around the $10 million mark. So we're not, it's nothing to sneeze at. Um, we do have to be really clear, um, especially for an influencer that we aren't misleading, we are saying that this is sponsored. Um, the second element is in each state and territory, we've got under the, our licensing rules and our codes of conduct, rules and relations to referrals and inducements. And generally speaking, um, you know, it all comes down to disclosure, making it really clear that if um, they're the reason someone's referred um, to someone else and vice versa, um, that it's really clearly disclosed uh, to the clients. And most, most people know that one about the referrals, but uh, it's more the influencer side, uh, making, sure, making sure it's clearly marked if it's sponsored. We do that actually because um, I, I just think it's, it's good practice actually just to, just to be open and transparent and I think people these days when they see something online or see something on social media, they actually want to know, you know, they want to know that sort of stuff. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to ask you a question now and you don't have to answer this, but Let's go anyway. Um, 
So you've just mentioned the ACCC a couple of times and misleading and deceptive conduct, which is something that, you know, like we're all quite wary of. I don't know if you're aware lately, but, you know, the the Novaks, Lisa and Mark Novak, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times and they've been in Transform and stuff like that, they're known for saying we never sleep. Um, and they've got that on their signboards. And someone on TikTok recently um, went and had a look on the signboard and was filmed and said, all right, let's see if these guys actually do ever sleep. Um, Called them at two o'clock in the morning or something like that. And eventually Mark picked up the phone and clearly he'd been woken up. (laughs) So so guy on TikTok, TikTok says, well, clearly you were asleep. This is misleading advertising. What do you think about that? Oh, look, I think you've got um, some very hard interpretation of law there and some very strict stuff, but at the same time, you know, the ACCC and the court does look at other factors like would would any normal person know that, you know what, they're not meaning that literally, they may more mean that in, in you know, we, we will do everything we possibly can and we'll work, work around the clock, like we all say, um, to, to get you a result. So I think, um, you know, I think there's other factors that would be looked at in something like that, I would hope, the yeah. ACCC would, um, in showing that, you know, it wasn't meant to be taken literally and a, a normal person wouldn't take that literally. Yeah, well, like likewise, I think those two are the hardest working people in the industry that, or yeah. probably <laughs> the hardest working people in the industry that I know. So let's play a game of, um, so we'll, we're going to wrap it up shortly, but I want to play a bit of a game of legal bingo with you. Is is that okay? Because there's, there's like some, um, you know, there's some terms out there in the legal land and we all hear them on, you know, the law shows and things like that, but some people don't actually know what they mean. So um, I'm going to read you some legal terms and I'm hoping you can just give us a quick definition. You okay, ready? I'll try. Yeah, I'll try. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. With, without prejudice, what does that mean? Oh, okay. Um, nothing to do with social media generally. So that's uh, used in communications Um at a high level, if it's marked without prejudice, it means it, it can't really be used in court. So it's usually used when you're negotiating a dispute um, and you, you, you're trying to be able to put your best offer forward and all of that and not, not have it bite you in the backside if it goes to court. Later on. That's a technical yep. term, bite in the backside, right? <laughs> but yeah, bite in the backside. That, yeah, I learned that one in law school. <laughs> That's why we like you as a lawyer. Um, <laughs> li- libel, what's libel? What's libel? Okay, so similar to defamation, but it's when um, something is published in writing. So it's usually out there forever. So that'd be electronic communications as well. If it's out there forever, then it's it's more libel than defamation. Yeah, yeah well, I was just, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just about to ask you, what is the def- difference between defamation and slander? Oh, goodness. Okay, Um Slander is more um, spoken verbally. Um, so well, it's like I've, I've gone and slagged someone off. Um, and then definition um, is the, uh, sorry, defamation is more the term used, I suppose, to group all of this together. But defamation um, is more for humans um, and it's not available to companies. And so I have clients calling me all the time saying, you know, my agency's being defamed. And I'm like, well, no, it, it's not defamation because you're a company for a company it's called injurious falsehood and you actually have to prove loss and things like that so yeah there's 
yeah, like you said, we've got libel, slander, we've got defamation, injurious falsehood. It's all very technical, legal, but I think defamation is the term used broadly for all of these things. <laughs> yeah, and the key thing is don't do it to anyone on social media. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you provide a lot of help and I think um, – Ono Legal is quite disruptive in that space. So tell us a little bit about how your clients work with you just just to wrap things up today. So um, one of the main reasons I started um, Ono Legal was the fact that, um, you know, often legal advice is only really available to the big end of town. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with the big end of town at all. Um, But what we've done is um, we've got our custom legal services, which is as you would expect, but we're productizing legal services, which means we can really reduce that price point um, through um, productizing services that are digital on demand because um, we know that agents are busy and often only have time to work on the business and this kind of thing after hours. And so um, because they're on demand services, they're digital, that price point has come um, way down on those, um, those products. It means that we can start to level the playing field, that we can get legal advice and legal services that have generally been reserved only for the big end of town um, into all agents and all property managers' hands. So that's essentially um, why we started um, and our background, and um, that's what we're really excited to deliver to the industry. Yeah, so if I could circle back on on what we were talking about at the very beginning, like we've, because we've talked about a lot of stuff today that is scary stuff that people, you know, it's almost like going to the dentist, you know, you've got to go, but you know, like sometimes you just don't like the answers that you're about to get. And I think that's, that's the case too. Like, you know, there are times we know we need lawyers, for example, with privacy policies on websites and stuff like that. But, you know, like often we're too scared to go or too busy to tick those boxes. So how do people, we'll leave some links in the show notes, but how do people get in touch with you to get access to that sort of stuff? Oh, well, obviously on our on our website, you can actually, just, you can go and download a lot of our resources for free or, or purchase the products from there. That's um, onolegal, onolegal.com.au. Um, however, if you want to follow us on socials or even reach out to me personally um, and either link in or connect with me on Facebook um, or LinkedIn, more than happy to um, continue these conversations offline. Um, yeah, or you can um, follow Ono Legal, um, the actual, you know, the business, the firm um, on any of those platforms as well. Awesome. Well, Kristen, I'd like to um, thank you for, for joining us today and sharing some of your knowledge. You are the least scary lawyer I've ever met. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I hope you'll come back. And we have covered so much ground in in terms of digital and social media and stuff, but I ask my guess is one last question, which is if you had one piece of advice um, from everything that we've talked about today to leave people with, what would it be? Honestly, I think it's that we don't need to do everything ourselves. So my, yeah, my biggest advice is it's really important to surround yourself with the right team, either internal or outsourced. For example, I've outsourced most of my social media management because I know I don't have the time to dedicate to it and it's not my skill set. Like I still do my marketing, but socials is a beast in itself. Um, but not only socials, with your outsourced advisors, you know, you don't need to do all this stuff on your own. You're busy running your agency, selling homes or managing properties. You can't be expected to stay on top of all of these laws, these platform rules yourself. So the biggest takeaway is, you know, get the right team around you so you can focus on doing what you do best. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Kristen Porter, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Sam. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate Podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au.
Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.